You are now listening to the May 9th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Praying for the Next Generation. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello listeners, this is Brian from Story of Kings. The last time we learned about Saul's disobedience based on 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul disregarded God's word and decided to take matters into his own hands when he saw the mighty Philistine army looming large and felt pressured for time. In haste, he took it upon himself to administer a sacrifice when in fact It was the chief priest's duty to stand before God and offer the sacrifice. For this rash and foolish act, the prophet Samuel rebuked King Saul. Then he delivered God's word to King Saul that his reign would not last long. From that point, things really started to pile on for Saul, and the situation became extremely difficult. One by one, soldiers deserted King Saul's army. What was once an army in the thousands, the headcount of his soldiers dwindled down to a mere 600. All the while, the Philistines were drawing near, entering Michmash, which was close to Migron. At this critical juncture, Saul's son, Jonathan, decided to test out the Philistines and approach their camp. If God permits, he was ready to go to battle with them. You see, unlike his father, Saul, He trusted in God. Jonathan took one soldier, his armor-bearer, and headed towards the Philistine camp. At that moment, Jonathan made a pledge, seeking God's guidance. He said to his armor-bearer, When we go near their camp and reveal ourselves to them, and they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, Then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands. And this shall be the sign to us. When the Philistine army saw Jonathan and one lone armor-bearer, they said, Come up to us. Then Jonathan became certain that God was with him, and he advanced forward for the battle. Jonathan took down twenty Philistine soldiers in an instant. Suddenly, A great trembling, like an earthquake, shook the Philistine camp, and the Philistine soldiers were overcome with fear. Saul heard the news and went towards the Philistine camp. There, he saw the Philistine soldiers in massive panic and utter chaos, fighting against one another. On that day, King Saul and Jonathan were victorious against the Philistines. However, Even though they had gained the victory, there was something else brewing under the surface. In the thick of battle, King Saul had issued a foolish order. All soldiers were ordered to fast, meaning they couldn't eat anything. The soldiers needed nourishment to gain strength to fight, but he told them not to eat any food. The soldiers who finished the battle were exhausted and hungry, 
This inappropriate circumstance led to Saul's soldiers sinning before God because they ended up eating unclean things, violating the oath Saul had made. As their king and as their ruler, Saul should have governed his people with compassion and patience, not to lead them into sin before God. But with the foolish oath he made, he caused himself and the people to sin before God. Eventually, he acquiesced and allowed food to the soldiers, but the mistake had already been committed. Sadly, though, making mistakes did not end here. Saul said, Let's chase after the Philistine army through the night and plunder them till dawn and annihilate them. However, Ahijah, who was serving as the chief priest, paused and said, Let's ask God if the battle should continue. So King Saul asked God, but God did not answer. Saul was impatient and did not want to wait for God's word. He called over the army and announced that they should cast lots to see whose fault it was as to why God was not answering. The lot fell on Jonathan. Now, full of self-righteousness and indignation, Saul declared Jonathan responsible for why God was not answering and decided to kill Jonathan. Saul did not realize that he lacked trust in God and that he sinned before God and caused his people to sin. When Saul was about to kill Jonathan, the people arose in support of Jonathan. They opposed Saul and rescued him. The fact of the matter was that Jonathan trusted in God and he was instrumental in gaining a great victory in the battle against the Philistines. Jonathan defended himself, knowing that he should not be killed. Eventually, Jonathan's life was spared, and Saul momentarily seized the battle with the Philistines. Then God gave one more opportunity for Saul to obey God's word. Let's refer to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. The scripture reads, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel how they set themselves against them on the way while they were coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike the Amalekites and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but put to death both men and women, children and infants, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. When the Israelites left Egypt and moved about in the desert, they were tired and exhausted. At that time, there were people who treated the Israelites brutally and attacked them when they were vulnerable. These people were the Amalekites. After fighting and successfully fending off the attack, God told Moses, never forget the mistreatment by the Amalekites. So Moses built an altar at that place commemorating the battle with the Amalekites and named it Jehovah Nissi which means Lord is my banner. Then he shouted, Lift up the Lord's banner high. The Lord will fight the Amalekites for generations. Fast forward about 400 years after that battle with the Amalekites in the desert. God now ordered Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Following God's order, Saul gathered 200,000 men. Saul and the Israelites 
armed and ready for battle, arrived at the Amalekites' territory. To those who were not Amalekites, they were shown mercy when the Israelites allowed them to vacate the land before the battle. Then Saul and his army attacked the Amalekites in full force. It was good as far as Saul attacking the Amalekites following God's command, but later we encounter a problem again, born by Saul's continuing disobedience. God's order was for Saul to kill every living thing. However, when Saul captured Agog the Amalite king, he did not kill him immediately. He merely imprisoned him. Further, King Saul allowed them to save the desirable livestock, but killed off the useless and worthless animals. King Saul didn't listen to God's word, not to spare anything alive, and once again acted according to his own greed, and by doing so, sinned against God. After this blatant act of disobedience, God confided in Samuel that he regretted anointing Saul as king. Of course, Samuel was distressed. He called out to God all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to see Saul. Samuel was disappointed and his heart was heavy knowing Saul's disobedience. His disappointment hit a new high when he heard about how Saul had set up a monument in his own honor. Saul was now heading towards Gilgal. When Samuel finally caught up with Saul, instead of admitting his fault, Saul gave one excuse after another. Then Samuel told him, To obey is better than sacrifice. Then he told Saul that since Saul rejected God's word, God has rejected him as king. It was only then, only when he heard the shocking predicament, he admitted his wrongdoing. However, he pleaded with Samuel to stand with him before the people and the elders to have him honored. Instead of repenting of his sin, his thoughts were focused more on keeping his pride and looking good in front of his people. Saul had Agog, the Amalekite king, brought before him. Immediately carrying out God's order to destroy all the Amalekites, Samuel killed Agog. Samuel then left Saul. He returned to Ramah and did not go to see King Saul again until the day he died. Before Saul ascended to kingship, he was known as a humble man and was praised by others. However, after he became king, he was prideful and lived according to his own way rather than God's way. Eventually, he was rejected by God. This concludes today's episode from Story of Kings. Thank you for listening and God bless.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Yahweh, God's personal name. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Now, what some people don't realize, like I said, is that God has a personal name, just like you and me. And God first reveals this personal name to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 at the famous burning bush incident. Remember when Moses saw this burning bush, but it wasn't being burned up? This is where God reveals his name. And the name that he reveals is Yahweh. So let's practice our Hebrew. Let's say Elohim. Ready? Elohim. Now say Yahweh. Yahweh. Our Hebrew is getting good. Don't you feel good? Chris Johnson, he's not in here, he told me a little joke before the first service. He said a man was walking through a park and he came upon another man and he said, hey, who are you? And the man said, well, I'm Jesus. And the man said, no way. And he said, Yahweh. (laughs) The name that we are revealed to is Yahweh. Now, what's interesting is in the Hebrew, the the vowels weren't there. It's literally Y-H-W-H in the original Hebrew. The Hebrews didn't put the vowels in. There were no vowels. So it was literally Y-H-W-H. So scholars think that it's pronounced Yahweh. Um, And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But today I take us to our text. It's Exodus chapter 3, and it's my honor to present to you, church, the word of God this morning. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, you can. Otherwise, I have it here on the screen. But hear the word of God. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Amen. Amen. Church, I present to you the word of God this morning. So, as I was preparing this message, I ran across in a good analogy, I thought it was a really great analogy, that helps explain the difference between the name Elohim and Yahweh. So imagine if God gave you a business card. The name Elohim would be on the front of that business card, and it would say, Elohim, the all-powerful one. Okay, so he hands you that business card, Elohim, the all-powerful one. Now, imagine that God wanted to give you some personal information about himself. As we do sometimes when we give out business cards, we'll say, hey, give me the card back just for a second because I want to write something on the back of it. I'm going to write something on the back of it just for you. So God flips over that business card, and on the back, he writes this. My friends call me... Yahweh. My friends call me Yahweh. And this is the idea that we take away between the difference of Yahweh and Elohim. Another way to think about it would be how we address a judge in a court of law. All right. How many of you have been arrested before? No, don't answer that. (laughs) Or you can if you want. I'm always fascinated with those types of stories. But so when we're in a court of law, we, we, we refer to them as the judge or more specifically, your honor right? Your honor. But if we know them personally and we stop by their house or we call them at home, we don't go, is your honor home? Right? Is your honor there? No, we would say, hey, is so-and-so there? We call them by their first name because we know them on a personal level. Again, this is the difference, the same kind of difference between the name of Elohim and Yahweh. 
Now, just to help you guys out a little bit, when you read your English Bible, generally speaking, God, G-O-D, is Elohim. So when you run a talk cross, in the, when you're reading your Bible in the Old Testament and it says God, it means Elohim. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Yahweh. Okay, so as you're flipping through your Bible, even now, you're going to see God and Lord all over the place. And this is one way to distinguish. When you see God, you're talking about Elohim. When you see um, Lord, L-O-R-D, capital, all caps, it's referring to Yahweh. So for example, in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so when we see Elohim, when we see the term God, that's Elohim. And when we see capital L-O-R-D, it is Yahweh. And so that, most people don't know that, and that makes it incredibly helpful as you're reading your Bible, because now you're able to make those distinctions. Now, the Jewish people so revered the name Yahweh that they wouldn't, after the 6th century BC, many of the Jews, the Jews wouldn't even pronounce it. After the Babylonian captivity, they quit pronouncing the name Yahweh. And so subsequent generations didn't know how to pronounce it. They didn't know how to pronounce it. And um, the Jews would often put in, instead of saying the name Yahweh, they would substitute in other names like Elohim. And another name that they would substitute in is the name Adonai. So they would say, instead of saying Yahweh, because they so revered that name, they would say Elohim or Adonai. So let's work on our Hebrews. Let's say Adonai. You got it. You got it. Uh, So we have Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai. And Adonai simply means Lord. It simply means Lord. So in the Bible, let's go back to this. In the Bible, when you see the term God, G-O-D, it is referring to Elohim. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is referring to? And when you see capital L, small case O-R-D, that is referring to Adonai. Is that helpful to you? To like three of you? Okay, good. I'm glad I did all that work. (laughs) Now here's the deal. Elohim and Adonai are often, in the Bible, are often used to refer to other things other than God. So Elohim and Adonai are not exclusive to God, but Yahweh is. Whenever Yahweh is used, it is only used in reference to God. Okay, so that's very important. Now, I'm going to make it even a little bit more complicated. Well, I'm not. History is. To make a long and somewhat complicated, very, uh, complicated story very short, here's what happened. So let me go to Habakkuk 3.9 says this, God, Elohim, the Lord, capital L, small O-R-D is Adonai. God, the Lord is my strength. Now here's the deal. Subsequent generations didn't know how to, like I said, in the 6th century BC, the Jews quit saying the name Yahweh. They wouldn't even pronounce it. So subsequent generations, even of Jews, didn't know how to pronounce the name. They weren't sure. And like I said, they would substitute in the name Adonai. So what scholars or what scribes eventually did is they took the consonants, remember the original Hebrew was just Y-H-W-H, okay? It was Y-H-W-H. So what they did is they took Y-H-W-H, and so they took the consonants of Yahweh and took the vowels of Adonai and put them together, and that is where we get our word Jehovah. Now, if you're wondering why is it start with a J, is because in Latin there was no Y. So scribes just used a J instead. So this is where it's, I know you're sitting here going, why do we need to know all this? I just want you to know where we get all of our names. But this is where we get the name Jehovah. So if you hear the name Jehovah, it is essentially referring to Yahweh. It's one and the same. It's just an amalgamation of the Hebrew word 
um, Yahweh and Adonai. Okay, fair enough? So the name Yahweh or Jehovah, it appears close to 7,000 times in the Old Testament. So uh, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. In the book of Psalms alone, it appears some 700 times. There's one Psalm in particular that is a prayer to Yahweh at Psalm 102. I think his name appears, Yahweh appears in there eight different times in that one Psalm alone. So if you want to read a Psalm to Yahweh, read Psalm 102. But it goes without saying, this is the name Yahweh, Jehovah, that we want to be familiar with. So the question becomes this, what in the world does Yahweh mean? What does it mean? Well, it seems to be, scholars think it's, it's a play off the verb to be. It's a play off the verb to be. So in Exodus 3, we just read it. God says, I am who I am. If you want to know when, they, when I show up, just tell the people, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And by the way, in John 8, 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Jesus says, I am the I am of Exodus 3 that revealed himself to Moses. I am that one. And that's why they wanted to kill Jesus. But it seems to be a play off this word to be. So in Exodus 3.14, God says, I am who I am, which tells us I am is one way to translate Yahweh. So what that means is this. This is one way to, to understand Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will forever be. This is how Thomas Aquinas understood the name Yahweh to be taken. The great uh, scholar Aquinas understood Yahweh to be a statement of being. So God is basically telling Moses, I am Yahweh. I am the God exists. I am the one who has always existed, who exists, and who will always exist. I am the God who exists over against all the gods that don't exist. There is only one God. I am he. I am. I am. I am. I am the I am of the universe. There's only me. We get a similar sense from other places in the Bible. So for example, in Isaiah 44, 6, this is what it says. Thus says the capital L-O-R-D, thus says Yahweh, Yahweh, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the capital L-O-R-D of hosts. I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. When God says, I am the first and the last, that's his way of saying, I am the one who was and is and will forever be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no one besides me. I am it. I am the self-existent, eternal God of the universe. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. So that's what that first and last means. Of course, we see this concept of being the first and the last in the New Testament as well. So for example, in Revelation 1.8, we read these words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's it. I'm, I'm it. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I was there at the beginning. I'll be there at the end, so to speak. He'll be there forever. I'm the one who is and was and is to come. Revelation 21, 6 says this. And he said to them, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So the name Yahweh reminds us that God is the self-existent, eternal God of the universe, the one who was and is and is to come. And that's pretty incredible. But listen, it's more than that. I don't think that God just wants us to remind, when we say the name Yahweh, we want to remember that he's the one who always was, who always is, and who always will be. But it's more than that. It's God's way. Remember, it's his personal name. It's his personal name. It's, it's God's way of telling Moses, listen, let me tell you my name. No one knows it. It's never been spoken before, but I'm going to tell it to you. And it's God's way of saying, I invite you, Moses, and I invite your people, Moses, to know me on a personal and intimate level. So here's my business card. It may say Elohim on the front, but just for you, I'm signing it on the back. 
with my personal name. And folks, that tells us a lot about who God is, who Yahweh is. He is a God that desires to make himself known. He is a God that desires to be in a relationship with you. Pastor Greg said it up here. He's a God that desires to know you and for you to know him on a personal level. But here's the kicker. God sharing his personal name is just the tip of the iceberg. Here's why. The God who revealed his personal name to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to be, the one who is to come. Listen, God may have given Moses a business card with his personal name on the back of it, but when God took on human flesh and walked among us, it is as if God gave you and I personal directions to his house and keys to his front door. Amen? That's the benefit you and I have as Christian. We, we look at Moses and go, how cool would it have been to have been at the burning bush and to have God's name revealed for the first time to you? That would have been great. But you want to know what's even better than that? Knowing Jesus Christ. Because if you know Jesus Christ, you know God far more than Moses ever did in his generation. It is as if God gave you directions to his front house and keys to the front door. You have something better than a business card with the name on the back of it. You want to know what kind of access you have to God when I say you have keys to the front door? What does Hebrews say? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may find help in our time of need. Literally, because of the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you and I have access to the front door. We have keys to the kingdom. We can walk boldly into the throne room of God every day, whenever we want, and walk right up to Yahweh and talk to him personally. Amen? Folks, that's good news. Think about this. The God that created this universe did not have to reveal himself, but he did. He revealed himself as Elohim, the all-powerful one. But then he takes that card over, he flips it, and he writes his name Yahweh. That's incredible. But then he sends his son, his one and only son, into the world to die for our sins. It is because of that you have keys to the kingdom. You have keys to the front door. You can know God on a level that is scarcely comprehensible. And I mean that. And folks, this is one of the key differences between the God of the Bible and all the other gods of all the other world religions. Yahweh is a God who is immensely personable, totally accessible, even to the point of pursuing those he created by taking on human flesh. I just talked about that. But as if that weren't enough, folks, Yahweh took on human flesh and he died on the cross. He died on the cross for you and me paying the penalty for your sins and mine. As one theologian said, he, Christ, secured for us an embarrassment of eternal riches. I love that, an embarrassment of eternal riches. Have you ever been so blessed by somebody who has showered you with gifts and you're like, stop it. I don't deserve it. Would you stop it? Has anybody ever been there? It's kind of a nice place to be, right? But there comes a point where somebody's giving you so much attention and so much, they're so good to you. You're like, I don't deserve it. Just stop. It's embarrassing. And that's what this theologian said. And when I read it, it just struck me. Jesus, Yahweh, came in the flesh and he secured for us an embarrassment of eternal riches. I mean, that's what Ephesians chapter 1 says, right? Um, it says that he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing possible. Every possible blessing he could have given, he did give. Yahweh gave to you and to me. Okay, let's get practical for a second. I know that's a lot of head knowledge that I've given you guys this morning. Here's the deal. Because Yahweh... Because Yahweh is the one who was and who is and who will forever be, we can be confident that he will be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen? So this is important. I know you all go, amen. What's the big deal about that? I'm going to try and make that amen mean a lot here in just one second. Every day you and I wake up, we don't ever have to wonder, I wonder what God will be like today. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not true in other religions. It's not. Um, I would venture to guess what I know about Islam is the God of Islam, they don't know. They're not sure of their standing. They're not sure where they stand with him. But folks, you and I don't have that issue. We don't ever have to wake up and I wonder what God is going to be like today. Because we know that God will be just as good today and just as faithful today as he was yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. You'd like to know the Hebrew word for annoying, right? If I keep doing that. (laughs) Listen, one of the hard things about being in relationships with other people is that people are not consistent. And do I hear an amen on that? People are not consistent. We have bad days. We have off days. We have days where we wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Have you ever had somebody wake up in your house and you're like, I wonder what side of the bed they woke up on, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, who's going to come walking out of that room? And you're like, you don't know. You don't know. And sometimes you're that person, right? But here's my point. We don't ever have to do that with God. We don't ever have to wonder. I wonder if God woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I wonder if he's in a bad mood today. I wonder if he's going to be any different yesterday uh, today as he was yesterday. God is rock solid. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't have off days. Why? Because he is Yahweh. He was the one who is, pardon me, who was and is and is to come. And as a result, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. By the way, not surprisingly, this very truth is applied to none other than Jesus Christ, right? Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Why? Because Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh. And he was the same, and he will always be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Why is this important? This means when God makes a promise, that promise, whenever it was made, it could have been made 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, it does not matter. That promise is as good as gold. And in a world where promises are quickly made and even more quickly broken, we are reminded that God, Yahweh, is the ultimate promise keeper. Amen? And I say that because many of us put our hope in politics. Folks, if you want a great example of where promises are quickly made and even more quickly broken, look no other place than politics. And I don't mean to disparage politics because I want Christians in politics. Politics are important, right? And you vote and you ca- we care about politics. But if our hope is ultimately, well, we're going to look to the politicians because they're going to keep their word, you're looking in the wrong place. But you might even go, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to look to politicians. I'm going to look to my spouse. Listen, your spouse, as great as they are, they're not even totally consistent. There's only one who is totally consistent all the time, and that is none other than Yahweh. He is the ultimate promise keeper, and that is because he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, alludes to this when he says this in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. And folks, that's good news. That's great news. He's the one true constant of the universe. He's the foundation that you can plant your feet upon and know that that foundation will never move, never shift, never give way. Amen. And you guys know the importance of foundations. You want want to know why? So Stacy, Stacy, raise your hand. Stacy's right there. She's our business manager. Um, She's sitting right where there's a crack in the foundation. We talk about getting the carpet replaced, but then when we tear up the carpet, we got to grind the cracks down and get the foundation fixed. And it's amazing because if you have a house, right, and you get the foundation cracks a little bit, what happens? A little bitty crack in the foundation creates a crack in the wall. 
And that crack in the wall then suddenly becomes a crack in the ceiling and it starts working its array around your house and you're like, where is that coming from? It's coming from your foundation. That's how important a foundation is. Even a little bit of movement in a foundation creates cracks everywhere. Folks, imagine following a God that wasn't a sure foundation. You would have cracks everywhere in your understanding. You would have cracks everywhere in your life, but you don't. You have a God who is a rock-solid foundation. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore because he is Yahweh, the God that was and is and is to come. Amen? Amen. And folks, this has real-life applications. Here's one of them. When God forgives you of a mistake that you've made in your past a really bad mistake. And listen, folks, everyone sitting in here has skeletons in their closet. We all do. When God forgives you of those skeletons that have been in your closet, that were once in your closet, they stay forgiven today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen? For example, when we read in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. I don't ever have to wake up and go, I wonder if that promise isn't good today. I don't ever have to worry, is that promise going to be good tomorrow, the day after that, or the day after that? No, it is just as good today, and it will be just as good tomorrow, because I follow Yahweh, the God who was and is and is to come, the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And folks, I know in a room this size with this many people, some of you need to hear this, because we as human beings have a tendency to let our past mistakes come back and haunt us, do we not? I do, I do. And I know if I'm doing it, I know you're doing it too. Something from, here's what happens. Something from our past comes and knocks on our door. And we look to the little eye hole and we go, oh, that's a skeleton from my closet. We open the door, come on in. Come on in, let's have a seat. I haven't seen you in a while, old friend. And we invite that old memory, that old thought in. And they come in, that memory comes in and it makes its home in our mind. And it starts wreaking havoc in our lives. Folks, the next time that happens, you remind yourself, I am a child of Yahweh. You're a child of the God who has given you his business card, written his name on the back of it and said, you are mine. Here's my name. Call me whenever you want. I am the rock solid, consistent God of the universe. I was the one who was and is and is to come. I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I am your God. You know me, my name. My name is Yahweh. He's inviting you to call upon him anytime, day or night, the God who never changes. Let me give you another example of where the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore makes all the difference in the world. The Bible makes it clear that the battle belongs to the Lord, does it not? The battle belongs to the Lord. 1 Samuel 17 says this, and that all this assembly may know that the capital L-O-R-D, the Yahweh saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you into our hands. Second Chronicles 2015 says this, thus says, capital L-O-R-D, yep, to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but Elohim, the all-powerful one. The battle is his. It belongs to Yahweh. It belongs to Elohim. Listen, folks, if the battle belonged to the Lord in the time of David, Samuel, Samuel, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, that's what in 2 Chronicles happened. If the battle belonged to the Lord in the days of David, and if the battle belonged to the Lord in the days of the apostles in the early church, then the battle belongs to the Lord today. It belongs to him today, just as it will belong to him tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Because he is the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? 
The God that fought your battles in the past and won your battles in the past for you is the same God that is going to fight your battles today. And I know in a room this size, there are some of you here that are fighting battles. You're in a war. Some of us are facing trials and struggles of various kinds. It might be financial. It might be emotional. It might be somebody in our family with a sickness, but we are facing a battle and we're wondering, to whom do I turn? You turn to Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You turn to him because the battle was his, is his, and will forever be his. It doesn't matter what the battle is. It doesn't matter where you're fighting that battle. It belongs to him. It always has, and it always will. And folks, the same principle applies across the board to to every promise in the Bible. There are some of you here, you know the promises of God and you, you need to be reminded today, those promises are just as good today. The promises that were spoken to David are just as good today. The promises spoken to Abraham and Elijah and Moses and the disciples and the apostles, all of those promises are just as good today and they belong to you because you are children of Yahweh. So I want to finish with a thought. There was a time in our country when doctors made house calls. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you lived back in the day when doctors made house calls? How old are you people? (laughs) Wasn't that like the 1890s or something? (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't want any communication cards for that one. I just wanted to see if you were still listening. Imagine that. Imagine how the world has changed. By the way, my doctor, and he's going to kill me for it, is sitting right over there. Where's Dr. Tom? He's not going to, he's sitting over there. I, Dr. Tom, great doctor. He, I'm, he's with one, I shouldn't even be doing this, but I'm going to do it. He's with one medical. And it's a, so I pay an annual fee and it's like a concierge. So I get to, when you go to see the concierge doctor, you get like 45 minutes with him. So it's a great deal. And his doctor is also my dermatologist. So if you need a good dermatologist, there's a free plug for you guys. So they'll be doing medical screenings out on the plaza after the service. I know my doctor's name, though. His name's Tom. But here's the point. There was a time in which doctors and patients knew each other on a much more personal level than we ever dare dream about today. Doctors were, in many respects, part of the extended family. They were known on a personal level, even on a first-name basis. Imagine knowing your doctor on a personal first-name basis where you could call them at home, call them on their cell phone. You had their business card that said Dr. So-and-so on the front, but you flipped it over. There was their name and their personal cell phone. What would you give to have that? What would you give to have that? Here's my point. You do have that. And you have it with something better than a doctor. You have it with the God of the universe. You have that type of access with the God of the universe. And so if I can finish with a question, the question is simply this. Are you living your life as if you are on a first name basis with the God who was and is and who will forever be? I hope so. I hope you realize you have something better than a business card with, the name, with God's name written on the back of it. You have keys to the kingdom. Jesus gave you directions to the house and keys to the kingdom and he invites you to come boldly before the throne of grace with confidence so that you can find help in your time of need. This is the God that you follow. He loves you. He has revealed himself to you. And by the way, I want to say one last thought here real quick. We can let the pendulum swing too far in one, on any subject in any direction. 
on the one hand, the Jews so revered the name of God that they let the pendulum swing way over here where they wouldn't even pronounce the name of God. I don't think that was God's intent. God revealed his name so that we would know it and we could speak it. So I think they let the pendulum swing way over here. The danger, of course, is we let the pendulum swing way over here, and that's where our society is now, where God's name is absolutely not revered in any way, shape, or form, right? The key as Christians is we keep it here. We keep it centered. We revere his name. We honor his name. But we speak his name because he's revealed it to us because he loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come. We thank you, God, that you revealed yourself to Moses. God, you flipped that business card over that said Elohim on the front and you wrote your name on the back and you said, Moses, my name is Elohim. But Lord, if that weren't great enough... You sent your one and only son into the world to die for our sins. Jesus literally gave us directions to your house and keys to the front door, gave us access on a level that is scarcely comprehensible. God, may we live as people that know you on this personal level. If there's anyone in here today, God, that feels distant from you or far from you, may today be the day that they draw close to you. In the quietness of your heart, I just invite you to spend a private moment in prayer with the one who is rock solid, consistent. Thank him for who he is and place your feet squarely on him. Father, we love you. We thank you and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your one and only son. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
of you that would like to raise your children instilling God's values and His words into their life. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries can send you CDs of our children's program. If any of you are interested in the program, please contact the office or email us to receive the CD. I hope that this program can spread out through our English-speaking children. Our office number is 602-866-8999. And the email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Coming up next is Praying for the Next Generation. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I am the host of this program, Praying for the Next Generation. Today, let's begin by praising Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The Hebrew word for heal is Rapha, which means cure. Cause to heal, repair, to mend, and make whole. It also conveys the process of restoring or making whole the health of an individual, and it is often used with regard to covenant blessing. The Hebrew word for brokenhearted is lib, which means inner man, mind, thinking, memory, will, heart denotes the seat of emotions, passions, desire, and decision. We serve an awesome God who heals and restores our hearts, souls, minds, and bodies to divine health and wholeness. 
today's scripture reading is from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your ears with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Let's praise our healer together. Father, with our whole heart, with our whole life, and with all of our passion, we worship you. How could we ever forget the miracles of kindness you have done for us? You are the God of miracles and our loving Redeemer. You reach deep into the pit to deliver us from death. You crown us with unfailing love and compassion. Lord, when our soul is famished and withering, you fill us with good and beautiful things and revive us with the fullness of your life. We stand in awe of your great power and beauty of holiness. Amen. Luke chapter 6 verses 27 and 28 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. When you hear this word, who comes to your mind? Can we follow our Savior's footsteps and make a choice to forgive and bless those who have wronged us? God desires for us to experience the healing and freedom that forgiveness brings. Let's pray. Father, you have taught us in your word to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. In obedience to your word, we choose to forgive everyone who caused wounds in our hearts through word curses, false accusations, slander, hatred, and betrayal. Today, we choose to forgive them and bless them. We let go of all the judgments and punishments that we have wanted them to have. Father, heal our hearts and sanctify us by your truth. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. What is a sacrifice of praise? It is easy to praise God in the season of abundant blessings. But when we are surrounded with seasons of storms and suffering, praising God in those times requires personal sacrifice and an act of our will. 
This word is so dear to my heart, as it brings me back to 2007, and the day my beloved son Daniel suddenly died in his sleep. In that moment of sorrow and disbelief, divine revelation of God's unfailing love and His eternal life began to flood my soul as the brightest beacon of light. And I knelt down and chose to offer up to God my sacrifice of praise, in the midst of indescribable pain. I wanted to give Him a love offering that cost me something in response to His glorious presence. That day became the defining moment that changed my life forever. My brothers and sisters, would you make a choice today to give God a sacrifice of praise in all of your circumstances, believing His goodness and His faithful love for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for demonstrating your perfect love for us. We desire to give you our sacrifice of praise. Celebrating your holy name without ceasing, you are the God who changes our sorrow to joy, our fear to peace, our pain to healing, our despair to hope, and our death to life. We give you a radical praise and thanksgiving forever. Amen. The next generation is growing up with constant exposure to the internet and social media from an early age. The entire world is at their fingertips, overloaded with information in such a fast-paced, constantly changing, and competitive nature. This is the known factor for causing emotional suffering and mental health issues among this generation. Let's cry out to God to heal their body, soul, and mind, and restore them to divine health and wholeness. Father, heal the next generation and restore them to your original purity. Heal them from mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, torments of fear, and panic attacks resulting from constant exposure to the internet and social media. Restore their hearts, minds, and bodies with your divine healing touch from the depth of the wounding that the enemy has inflicted upon this generation through school shootings. Peer suicide, bullying, vaping, and other traumas in their lives. Heal their hearts and minds with your perfect love from pain, rejection, and abandonment, which were caused from broken family relationships. Raise up our generation as godly parents and true mentors, so we can cultivate. Healthy relationships with the next generation, where broken hearts are mended, trust is restored, and communication is always open 
consistent, honest, and loving. Give us wise strategies and creative ideas to reach out and connect their hearts with your unfailing love, to build their self-esteem in your truth, and to teach them how to develop strong. Authentic and godly interpersonal relationships with your wisdom in their world. Father, cleanse their eye gates, ear gates, and heart gates with your precious blood. Give them eyes to see what you're doing. Give them ears to hear what you're speaking, and soften their hearts to believe your truth with childlike faith. Lord, impart true life and radiant health into the very core of their being. Strengthen their inner man with your power and inspire them to choose life. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.
Let's tell it to the world tonight. We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.